Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Apprenticeship Toolbox podcast, the podcast where here we here at Stony Plain Alliance Church ask uh, the questions of apprenticeship about how do we be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus does. And uh, we look at our weekend messages and themes through that lens. And so I've got Graham here today. Good to be here. It's good to have you here too, Graham. Are you enjoying the lockdown? The, uh, the lockdown is certainly um, challenging, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say enjoying. No, no, never really enjoying. But I'm trying to find um, some good in it and trying to figure out how do we make a win out of this rather than sit around and mope, complain, gripe, you know, talk negatively about whoever put these restrictions in place, blah, blah, blah. You're all that talk, right? So I've been trying to reframe it and think about how we can actually make this a win. That's good. Yeah. I mean, you and I had that conversation last week about how do we make a win because it's so easy to to spiral right now, yeah. right? And just whether that's into grumpiness or sadness or, or yeah. whatever, and just think about what you don't have instead of focusing on yeah. what you do. Phones and Zoom work really well to talk to people. They and, sure do. Uh, it's sort of like dedicated space and uh, time to talk to people. And so, you know, you have a captive audience. They're home. They're not anywhere. Uh, yeah. So why not pick up the phone or... Send a text and get on Zoom and have a conversation. Totally. So there's lots of ways to win. I mean, that's just a small thing. But I think, um, you know, as we think about this lockdown and the Christmas season, my appeal even to our people would be to uh, think about how to make this a winning season for your kids and for yourselves. Uh, somebody said to me that a survey was done in Alberta. 50% of the people said they were planning on breaking the rules just to celebrate Christmas and um I'm like, yeah, okay, you can do that, but you're really not going to help. No, um, that won't help the situation. Not going to help the situation. So let's think about ways that we can make it a win. And so my appeal to our congregation is to not break the rules, but to make it a win and uh, make this a Christmas that will be unforgettable for yourself and for those you love. Cool. Um, so last last Sunday you had your final sermon, and in your final sermon mm-hmm. uh, you wrapped up this parting shots series you've been doing. Yeah, that's what the PS stands for. I'm PS sure. is yeah. parting shots. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, <laughs> you took a parting shot at me and Dan Kaler uh, about how could uh, a holy person cheer for the Calgary yeah. Flames? Well, it was hurtful. Well, Flames um, South Hell. Devil Hell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I never looked at it. It all makes way. sense to me. See, I thought I just had to steer away from cheering for the New Jersey Devils, but it well, turns out. The Flames are their cousins. <laughs> Fuel for the Devil's fire. <laughs> wow. Oh, well, it looks like we might have a hockey season in front of us uh, starting a well, month from now, apparently. I, I wish we could jump into it fairly soon so that we could watch something during this COVID lockdown, but right. I'm looking forward to a new season. I yeah. think it'll be fun. I think the Flames will... Uh, We'll uh, crush your, your Oilers because, I mean, yeah. you know, in the words of that disciple, how could anything good come from Edmonton? Well, you know? I hope your flames burn in Hades. <laughs> They're at least Tartarus, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that was a, a fantastic final sermon. Thanks. And uh, I was really grateful just uh, for the reminder for myself and for my family as we watched and for our church community of of uh, who we are in Christ. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was such a foundational message for building our identity. And so Mm. thanks. Uh, Just wondering, what was was it like? You haven't preached a final sermon in 20 years. Mm -hmm. What what was that like? Especially not having people there. I mean, I was there. I'm a real person, but that's it. 
Well, actually, I mean, to be quite honest, um, you know, it was um, on the one hand disappointing um, because that's not, that's not how I envision preaching. Preaching for me is very relational. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to have to imagine people, um, and I know people were listening and watching, but um, preaching for me is very relational. And for me, it is about leading a spiritual community and building into a spiritual community. So to have to do it on video was actually quite disappointing. However, um, at the same time, just really sense that, that God enabled me to to do it. I mean, it was a, you know, just to recall last week, it was a very quick turnaround. I was planning on mm-hmm. preaching it on Sunday. And so it totally, I shouldn't say caught me off guard. I was kind of expecting it, but you get into a rhythm and, you know, I, I like to write my message and finish it off by, by Thursday and then let it marinate for a little bit and then come back to it on Saturday night and then again on Sunday morning and then finally preach it on Sunday. And a lot happens in that space between Thursday and Sunday in that marinating oh, totally, space. Yeah. A lot of things change and I think uh, actually improve. And so to have to then preach it on Thursday was a little bit of a curveball for me, but mm-hmm. I think I was just trusting in God again and trusting in the work of the Spirit. Mm. So, yeah, it was weird. Um, but good in the sense that um, it put me in a place again of um, reminding uh, myself that God is sovereign over all of this, and uh, He's uh, working. Um, he's working for our good, and He's working for His glory in the church. And it's not ultimately about me. And so, um, as much as it was disappointing on a personal level, you know, uh, I trust trust that God has this. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. These days are unideal Yeah, on every level. And the content of the sermon, I'll just sort of explain the background of it, is, mm-hmm. you know, for me that the whole piece of um, of being in Christ is, is significant in Paul's writings, but it also became significant in my life as I had to do some soul care um, very early on in my life, re- recognizing the impact of having lived in South Africa and living, uh, lived with an identity of always being less than, um, because of, uh, who I was and, and the situation that I found myself in. And so that really was something that I carried around for a long time. And, and, and when I came to faith in Christ, that, that began to change. And, but it really began to change when I, when I had to recognize who I was in Christ. And so breaking the lie of what I had believed about myself, lies of what I had believed about myself, um, and embracing my true identity in Jesus. And so, you know, I said that I would, uh, the last two messages were messages that um, were more reminders and they were biblical proofs, biblical realities that were significant to me and have shaped me and then in turn shaped the community that I pastored. And so that's why I preached that message on Sunday. Cool. I really appreciated it. It's good to know more about that story. And it's interesting just how much, um, how our experience shapes our identity Mm -hmm. and how um, we really, to your point, need soul care to to walk through those false stories and those false narratives that we believe about ourselves. Yeah, Yeah, the false self really is uh, something that, I mean, it's the self we build apart from God. Mm-hmm. It's not who we really are. It's not who we've been created to be. And and yet we busily go about that day in and day out, trying to build this identity for ourselves or assuming an identity that someone else gives us, mm-hmm. um, whether it be a parent or a teacher or somebody that's been significant in our life. And we assume that identity. 
and the enemy works. So, you know, the father of lies works over time to spin those lies about us. And, mm-hmm. and we readily buy into those lies, whether it's a, it's a, a negative thing or, or what we would think a positive thing, right? Building yeah, our totally. identity on something that's apart from God really is a false identity. It's not who we have been created to be. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, I really just loved in your sermon is where you call us the holy ones. Mm. And uh, you talked about, out of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, that we are a holy people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's something we've lost. Yeah. And uh, the, that we'd consider ourselves holy ones. Yeah. And it, it felt almost grating to hear um, those words like, ah, you know, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a holy one. Right. Other people may be, but, but not me. And, um, you know, whether it's a rebellion against the word holy because of some weird um, background people have with it, or whether it's just we feel unworthy of it. Right. I think it's central um, to, to who we are to see ourselves as a holy people. And mm. so uh, do you want to tease out the idea of being holy ones a bit more here? Yeah, well, I mean, it strikes me, struck me that Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus and Ephesus worshiped this uh, goddess of sexuality, Artemis. And yeah, the many-breasted one, I think, is her. Uh, yeah, exactly. Her I, I did yeah. want to say that on Sunday because I knew there'd be kids listening. But that, that, that's, the, that's the reality. And, you know, all sorts of, you know, immoral sexual practice that's tied into the cult of... Artemis and, um, you know, sexual orgies and... Yeah, it was a mess there. It was a mess. And so these people were coming out of that background and and they had not had, you know, obviously didn't have it all together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then when you read Ephesians and you look at some of the struggles that they were facing, everything from their personal morality, um, whether it was anger or sexual immorality... Um, uh, what else is there, Matt? I'm just the other problems. The, the Church of Ephesus. Of stuff. Yeah, there's just a ton of stuff. If you, oh, particularly yeah. if you read if, uh, Ephesians pride, chapter there's, four, there's gluttony, there's yeah. drunkenness, right? Yeah. Like all sorts of stuff, right? So they're not doing well there at all. No, and no. they're a divided church. They're struggling because they're divided. And Paul, so Paul is writing to them, and uh, and and he calls them holy ones. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, if you sit back and think about it, that. That should strike you as strange that he would write to them and call them as, call them holy ones, but they're holy in Christ, yeah. and they're faithful in Christ, holy and faithful ones in Christ Jesus. And you know that strikes me. And then when you think of Stony Plain and you, you look around the church, you, well, you just don't have to look very far. Just look at the person who's sitting at the microphone here talking. Mm-hmm. Certainly not somebody that would be called a saint. No, um, that, no, that, we we have preconceptions of what a saint would be, right? Exactly. And we don't we don't allow ourselves to ever see ourselves right. through those lights. Right. Or lens, sorry, not light. Yeah. But you're holy in Christ, and that uh, Jesus is the true holy one. Mm-hmm. And because we're in him, um, we become holy ones in him. And that, that's, what, that's what Paul is driving at there, is that our, our holiness is really found in Jesus. It's not found in our, in our behavior. Um, now, no. holy, there, there is this um, progressive holiness that mm-hmm. should take place in the life of every Christ follower, becoming more and more like Christ. But positionally we've been positioned in Christ and so therefore we've been deemed to be holy ones mm-hmm. yeah it's not about our performance here it's interesting um, just learning more about the context of these letters how mm-hmm. how it really shapes your understanding of them like mm-hmm. if if I didn't know all this stuff about Ephesus in the background I'd go oh maybe the church in Ephesus you know maybe they were really good people got there. It all maybe. together yeah they've got it all together yeah. they're they're the perfect church, and Paul's writing to them going, oh, you're perfect. But no, he's, he's writing to this mess of a, a group of people who've come out of this messy background and saying, you are holy. 
Yeah. And it, so this is part of the reason why digging into the context of these letters can be so helpful is that it helps us um, see ourselves in them a bit better. Yeah. And also helps us make sense better of what, what's being written to, the, to these churches here. Real people living in a real world, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Oftentimes, yeah, we, we think that the church is in... The, uh, people will say, well, it would be cool to go back to New Testament times, right? To be yeah. part of the New Testament church. It was so awesome back then. They well, shared everything in common. Read Paul's yeah. epistles. Yeah. There might have been an idyllic week or something like that. It was like a mess. That, yeah. He's... Imagine trying to mix these two worldviews of the Greek and the or the Jew and the Gentile, and uh, and all that baggage of thousands of years of of uh, being away from each other and being mm. apart. And imagine what that would do. And then let alone um, power struggles and power like power dynamics between slave and free and everything. Like it's it is a cocktail for disaster, yeah. right? So why do you think it's important that we are identified as holy ones? Why is your identity as a holy one important? Because it, I think it affects our mindset. If, I, if I'm thinking of myself just as a sinner, it's easy to get stuck in being just a sinner. Yeah. But if I get the mindset of, no, I'm a holy one in Christ, that gives me something to shoot for. Mm. I want to live into that reality. I want to live into that identity. Absolutely. And so I think that's why it's important. And also because it's positionally true. Right. That's who I am. Mm. And I can, um, I can think of myself as just... Uh, trash far too often and mm. dwell on my failures and not living up to what my idealized version of myself would mm. be. But to see myself as Christ sees me um, really transforms how I see myself right. if I let myself live into that reality. Totally. It totally shapes your behavior. And it's also when you recognize that ho- that this holiness is not something to be earned, that you don't have to be someone or do something in order to be considered a holy one. It really actually frees you then to pursue Christ-likeness. Mm-hmm. Right, totally. so it doesn't become a work; it becomes something that we do because we have already been declared this. Mm-hmm. This is how we want to behave. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, you think about it through different things in the world. Like maybe you get a position, um, a new position at your job, and it's a real big step up, like a, a large promotion. But they see something in you, and you want to live into that, yeah. and you want to become that, and it inspires you to become better. You yeah. know, we we hear this so much, especially around. Um, marriages that this person inspires me to be a better person. Mm. Well, it's because they see something in you that you don't see in yourself, right? And I, I think there's that element here too, where we're we're getting to see what God sees in us instead mm. of just what uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil see in us, because we we get stuck in that far too often. So uh, another thing that was really uh, interesting to me uh, was the idea of the scarcity mindset. And uh, you talked about how it affects our view of God and ourselves. So um, why don't you explain a bit again about what a scarcity mindset is and, uh, and more about how that would affect our views. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I mean, we believe that God is ultimately a generous God and he doesn't withhold anything from us. And so Paul writes, you know, you've, you've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so the, the reality there is that God is not withholding anything from us. That mm-hmm. He's given us everything that... Um, everything that we need and don't deserve uh, Mm -hmm. been given to us as a gift through Christ. And so to see ourselves then from a place of having been blessed, that we are blessed people, uh, God has given everything to us. He's not withheld anything from us. And oftentimes we live with a scarcity mindset. And what I mean by that is that we we believe that we, we actually don't have anything and everything we have, we have to 
uh, have to earn. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so uh, oftentimes, rather than living uh, with an open-handed posture of being willing to both give and receive, uh, we live with, the, you know, with tight fists and mm-hmm. we hold on to everything that we have. And so um, when I think of scarcity culture, I think of you know, some perhaps who have grown up in, uh, and just as an example, those who have grown up in, in lean times. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though now they have, you know, wealth beyond measure compared to most of the world, they're, they're still living with a poverty scarcity mindset that, that they don't have. Mm-hmm. And that shapes how they, how they live life. It well, shapes yeah. how it, it doesn't just shape how they spend their money. It shapes how they, how they earn their money, spend their money, how they relate to people, how they, uh, use their resources and mm-hmm. keep their resources. And oftentimes we're not willing, you know, someone who lives with a scarcity mindset really has this uh, thought that they're impoverished. And, um, and and so you see it even in our culture with people who we, we are some of the wealthiest people in the world. Like we're in the top, you know, 5% of wealthy people in the world. And yet mm-hmm. when you talk to the average person in Alberta or North America, there's still the sense that we don't have and we need mm-hmm. more. That's a scarcity mindset because totally, yeah. we're the wealthiest people in the world and we still think that we need more. Yeah, totally. And That's, so it's interesting what you say about uh, those who grew up in Lincoln Times. Like uh, when, we, when we cleaned out my grandparents' house uh, after my grandpa died uh, a few years ago, uh, we're, he'd, he'd grown up during the, the Great Depression, of course, and had grown up in those lean times. And he had car parts for vehicles he hadn't had in 20 years or 30 years just because it might be useful at some point. Right. And like his whole storage room was full of all these it might be useful at some point things yeah. because in his mindset there might there might not be enough and I might need this at some point. And so that's, yeah, that's totally accurate. And, and then leaning into what you said at the end there, we, the scarcity mindset tells you there won't be enough ever. Right. And so you better hold on to what's yours and you better hoard to all that toilet paper or whatever it is these days that we're hoarding on to in COVID. Yeah. And so to live as a blessed person then is to recognize that I'm connected, related to a father who is ultimately and infinitely generous toward me and isn't holding anything back from me. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes we think that God is holding back um, from us and that he is, um, he, he hasn't given us everything that we need in life. And, uh, and the reality is, is that through the work of Christ on the cross, his resurrection power at work in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit, um, we have everything that we need to overcome our greatest enemies and to live a life that's full mm-hmm. in Christ, regardless of our circumstances. So Paul talks about these as being heavenly resources. And mm-hmm. so what would these heavenly resources be? Well, I think, you know, when we think about Galatians, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, Mm -hmm. joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. faithfulness. Mm -hmm. So those are all part of what God is talking about. I think the reality, too, is the the power to overcome sin, Mm -hmm. um, the the power to, um, to love when we don't feel like there's love in us, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of relationships with people, the power to uh, to overcome death, mm-hmm. um, which I think is one of the most significant things that God gives us, mm-hmm. the power to overcome death that is at work in us, not just physical death, but spiritual death. Yeah, totally. And so, you know, later on, Paul is going to say that, I pray that you would realize that 
that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. And so that, when you think about resources in the heavenly realms, it's the work of God's Spirit in our lives to help us lay access to everything that is available in the heavenly kingdom, everything that's available at the, the center of the throne or the, cent- the center of heaven at the throne mm-hmm. is available to us. So what's at the center of heaven? Well, there's, there's peace, you know, there's joy, there's true righteousness and justice. Mm-hmm. All of the things that we would imagine and want in this world is available to us because we're God's children. So um, I think that's profound. I think so too. And I think we've, we've missed it so often when we think of it in terms of heavenly um, gold banks and, and uh, in terms of reaping and sowing here and getting more and more and putting it through that lens. And when yeah. we minimize right. so much to just just an equity mindset and, uh, and miss out on the true uh, heavenly resources, which is a, a transformed life, and right. which is uh, the kingdom coming in all its fullness. And of course we want that. Yeah. And that's so much better than a, a private jet or right. uh, you know, whatever else people well, just, just think even in terms of Christmas, you know, mm-hmm. we, we've bought into this idea that Christmas, if we're going to have a significant Christmas, we have to have family, we have to have a certain kind of meal, and you have to have certain trimmings with that meal. Mm. And so we line Christmas up to be this event that is perfect and meets the desires of our heart. And once we, you know, fills, the, fills, our, fills our hearts, fills our empty hearts, our families all around me, this makes this day, you know, I've eaten turkey, I've done, I've opened gifts, I've, everybody has behaved in a way that will fill my heart with love and joy. And that so misses the reality of what we have in heaven. And so even if we have an imperfect Christmas this year, even if we don't have the family that we love around us, even if we don't Mm. eat the food that we really want to eat, probably don't even need to eat, but we're going to eat it anyway. Tastes great. Those trimmings are wonderful. We can still have what Christmas is all about, mm-hmm. because that exists in the heavenly realms. Even if life does not work out for us the way that we want it to work out, we can still have love and joy and peace. And most Christians would say that, mm-hmm. but we don't always behave that way. No, no, because that's not our mindset. Right. And the, the, the best gift at the center of all these things is Christ himself. Yeah. And uh, that's what Christmas is about, is the arrival of Christ mm. in space-time and history at one moment, but also the arrival of Christ today in my life. Yeah. And we can certainly have that this Christmas, and right. perhaps there's an even greater opportunity to have him at the center. So how do we lay, how do we lay hold of that? What does it mean to really access uh, that in the, you know, as we talk about the heavenly realms? What, is it, what does that mean? Well, I think it means that we apprentice with Christ, mm. that we be with Christ, that's the first step is mm. we, we train ourselves, um, you know, and you've used this, this quote a lot, uh, Dallas Willard talking about grace isn't opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. That's not the one I was going to say. <laughs> That's good though. It is a good one. But the other one that Dallas used that you've t- talks about a lot is the idea of training versus mm-hmm. trying. Yep. And uh, if we've got this trying mindset, which is really a scarce, scarcity mindset anyways that I... I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I have this available to me, but I'll try. And if I can't do it, then too bad. Um, but the training mindset means I don't have it yet, but it's available to mm. me. 
or perhaps I have it, yeah, I don't know, but it's available to me and I just have to live into this reality. And mm. so uh, I have to keep practicing this way of Jesus mm. and keep growing in this way of Jesus. Yeah, I think the other, the, other, the other part of that is really recognizing that in order to lay claim to this, that God has to be the center of the world, not us. Mm-hmm. And that if we put ourselves at the same, if we try to align life so that it fills our need, we're putting ourselves at the center of the world rather than putting God at the center and recognizing that he's at the center. And so aligning our lives with him and doing the kinds of things that will actually help us to lay claim to that, which is what you're talking about. Some mm-hmm. of the spiritual disciplines like waiting and solitude and serving and generosity all of those all of those types of things really help us to lay claim i think to the spirit rather than us being the center we make god the center yeah. of our lives and our christmas celebration and our advent you know looking to him hoping in him and and when we do that when we take ourselves off the throne and mm-hmm. stop trying to manipulate life so that it meets our needs and rather focusing on him our needs are ultimately going to be met in him Yeah. I mean, what more do you say than that, right? Apprenticing with Jesus is this continuous process of reorienting our lives around him, mm. of removing ourselves off the, the throne and putting himself, him on the throne. And, uh, you know, when we do all these practices that, that do that, that orient us to, to him, like you mentioned, it, it changes our behavior mm. because we don't have to, to try to do practices that will orient ourselves around ourselves, whether that's, um, you know, binging Netflix, whether that's uh, sitting on Amazon for too long, uh, whether that's, you know, going to the pantry one more time or, or whatever it is uh, for each of us. We've, our world is designed to put ourselves at the forefront. And so living a life with Christ is a life of reorientation. And then we do the things that Jesus does, right? And we try to live out of this reality, and that's what you're talking about. Generosity is part of that, that the more generous we are, the more that our life is aligning with Christ's life. Hmm. And uh, we're treating our possessions and our time and our skills in such a way that they are meant to be a blessing. And as soon as our lives start getting redirected and redeployed towards blessing instead of scarcity, that's where true beauty in life is found. Amen. So, so uh, you talked briefly about waiting in Advent. I did. Advent, I think we, we've gotten mixed up a bit. You know, my, my kids didn't get it this year, but typically, you know, we get the chocolate Advent calendar, and, and these 25 days leading up to Christmas are, are these blasting out of Christmas songs and they're really 25 days of partying sort of thing. Mm. But that's not what Advent's meant to be. Mm. I've only started learning this in the last few years as I, I've leaned into this more, the, the idea of the church calendar. And Advent also is supposed to function almost as another Lent. It's another season of preparation yeah. before celebration, just as we prepare at Lent for the celebration of Easter. Uh, at Advent, we pray, prepare for the celebration of Christmas, but we, we take time to wait in the darkness. Mm. Uh, we take time to to long. You know, there's not many actual Advent songs we sing, but the best example would be O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, mm. which is, is this asking for Jesus to come and, and change the story, which, yeah. I mean, we're asking him to do again. 
yeah. you know, come, come return to us, Jesus. Well, Ad- Advent really is about waiting in the darkness for the light of Christ to shine mm-hmm. through, right? And, and recognizing that Christ is the light in the darkness and looking forward to the day when all things will be made new, when Jesus mm-hmm. returns and makes all things new. And so I was thinking about, you know, our own uh, December celebrations leading up to Christmas recently and thinking about the kinds of things that we do. We go to, you know, not so much this year, but we go to <laughs> parties and we put up lights and um, we eat lots of food. And it, really what that is, I think, is an attempt to bring some light into our lives. It's an attempt mm-hmm. in the darkest season of the year, in the darkest month of the year. It's an attempt to drive back the darkness. But mm-hmm. at the end of the celebration, we're left with more darkness. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, a lot of people go into a, and you and I know this, we do a lot of pastoral counseling after Christmas because mm-hmm. people have celebrated, they've partied, they've eaten, they've done everything. And at the end of Christmas, they're, they're still empty. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I, I, I can enter into that story myself, so I'm not passing judgment on anyone because no. I've, been, I've been there. Uh, and uh, at times still find, catch, have to catch myself, but it, it really is the discipline of waiting in the darkness and looking for the light of Christ in the midst of the darkness. It's embracing the darkness and letting the light of Christ shine into your life. And if you sit and wait for Jesus, he'll come and meet you. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we have an opportunity this year that perhaps we haven't had in our lifetimes before. There's no parties to go to. There's no school concerts to run off to. There's no family gatherings. So there's an opportunity to wait. There's an opportunity to, to sit in the darkness, to sit in this and practice some spiritual disciplines that would actually allow us to be available and to be aware of the presence of Christ and to, to ask him to step into the darkness with his light. And so, Graham, uh, I'd like you to unpack our our apprenticeship toolbox um, tool for this week. Mm. Um, would you would you want to lean with that? Sure. I, I think we'll just Let's do it. skip over the rest. Yep. yep. Well, I think um, one of the things I would encourage you to do this week in terms of uh, the toolbox is to uh, think about some of the statements that you have made about yourself. All of us have a list of I am's. You know, I'm this, I'm, I'm dumb, I'm funny, I'm smart, I'm you know, a list of I am's, write those I am's down and recognize how you've been building your identity around those I am's. And then on the other side of the page or the bottom of the page, write down who God says you are in Christ. And you can go through that list in Ephesians chapter one. Uh, you could probably uh, look online and look yeah, at Neil T. Anderson. Neil Anderson has yeah, a list a of, one. maybe we could put that in the show notes, For sure. a, a list yep. of I am statements. Uh, of who you are in Christ. He's just done some work looking at who we are in Christ and has a, a brilliant list of I am who I am in Christ. And uh, look at the list that you've made for yourself, your I am statements. I am this, I am not that. Those might be some of the ways that you've defined yourself. And um, I would encourage you to um, name that uh, lie, uh, name that false self, name that false identity. Um, and in prayer, break the power of that in your life. Uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And then pray through the list of I am statements of who God says you are in Christ. And uh, take that on as your identity and begin to build your life and your identity around who God says you are in Christ. And you will find your true self in Jesus.
Awesome. Well, that seems like a great place to, to go, Graham. Um, one one thing I, I might add, if, if I could be so bold, is um, to go through that Who I Am in Christ list and where y- y- you rub up against it where it doesn't feel right, to take some time and and ask, how is this against the identity that I've built? And, and ask Jesus to, to, to heal that mm-hmm. and to, to plant that truth in the place of the lie that you've got. Good. Yeah. That's really good, Matt. Yeah. Well, thanks, Graham. Um, it's been good to sit down today. I've really enjoyed this and uh, looking forward to, well, this to is, next week. This is my last podcast. No, it's not. Second no, we've to last got, we've podcast. got next week, so all let's right. not get all sentimental. I'm not going to get all sentimental. I'm not going to get all teary eyed. Oh. See you next week, buddy. Yeah. I'll see you next week, champ. <laughs> Wait, is Buddy Morris going to be here next oh, week? Sorry, Buddy Morris. <laughs> well, thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for joining us on this week's episode of the Apprenticeship Toolbox. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. And if you uh, like what you're hearing, why don't you share it with somebody Mm -hmm. uh, to be an encouragement to them. I would love to hear and see more people uh, tracking with us on this podcast. Grace and peace. Grace and peace.